I didn't even know what it meant that some of my videos went viral. I'm like, who's seeing this? Like, is this, are these numbers real? Yo, this is Lydia Keating, a comedy writer turned content creator who's known for her runs and fruit obsession. When we started Creator's Lunch back in November, she was our inaugural guest. It's like a creator power lunch. Yeah, okay, cool. During her first visit, we talked about her growing up in Rhode Island. I'm from a really small beach town called Little Compton. Being a collegiate athlete at Yale and how she transitioned from doing stand-up comedy in LA to being a full-time creator. When the pandemic happened, there were no stages to perform on. I was like, how am I gonna keep this muscle of like performance sharp? And so I started putting stuff out on Instagram. Unfortunately, we had to scrap the initial recording because we had no idea what we were doing with the audio. Thinking about engagements yeah. or, or followers or yeah. like that. Thankfully, she was very generous to come back and chop it up with us again. Appreciate you for coming back. <laughs> oh, it's uh, I, I love hanging with you guys. In this episode, we talk about TikTok experts. Because TikTok yeah. is full of all of yeah, that, right? Yeah, just people spewing <laughs> bullshit. I never trust yeah. a TikTok cook. The struggles of being a multifaceted creator. When you're trying to make that pivot, the first videos you make are gonna flop. And Kevin Kelly's thousand true fans. When people unfollow me, I'm like, okay, well, good, I guess. The people that are still here are the people who are actually gonna engage with my content. Thank you. Sorry, I, this was like a panic decision because I, I like, oh. and then I realized when I told you, well, when I told him Sweet Green, I was, I was like, wow, it's nine thirty in the morning. We could put it in there. I love Sweet Green. Okay, yeah, good. I like I'm Sweet glad green. it was. I good. like Harvest Bowl. Yeah, the Harvest Bowl is good. I do think that Sweet Green is an interesting business, though. Uh, what do you? Why? How so? I just, you know, he has a good friend who's, uh, who's just a subject matter expert in all things franchising, mm -hmm. and you know. An investor. An investor in a lot of different uh, food businesses. Mm -hmm. And the way he broke it down was, yo, this is this is, uh, this is not a good business, you know? Really? Why? It's not a good business in the sense that it has just, just it's not a profitable fundamental, you know? Because mm -hmm. they have like locations in prime real estate, which is huge overhead, and you're selling leaves. And, um, you know. But people love it. And they're selling them for like, it, when I go to Street Green with tax, it's like, and if I get a drink easily, like $21. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think what he was saying was essentially that they're selling cool, but the product itself is a commodity. Um, and a, and, a, and a, a lot of the ways that they were able to do that in the past was because they were venture-backed, because mm -hmm. it was all about growth. It was all about all these different things. But um, if you really break it down, it's like, they're competing against Chopped. They're oh, competing against yeah. uh, Dig. Dig. Uh, basically all the fast casual. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, you know, right now their whole lane is, yo, we're going to be the McDonald's of, of, healthy of, food? of healthy food. But they're not at a McDonald's price point. They're not at a McDonald's price point. And to be McDonald's is actually. Well, and the other thing, too, is it's a whole different business model because McDonald's is a real estate business. Mm. You know what I mean? And How, whereas, why is that? So, I mean, you could go into so it. So part of the, so McDonald's is a franchise, right? Mm -hmm. And then they, they have uh, mandates in there. To be a franchisee, you have to mm -hmm. go to Hamburg University. So mm -hmm. like the training, oh. there's like training because okay. there's standard operating well, procedures for all that stuff, right? What is a franchisee? A franchisee is someone that licenses the brand name. On Righteous Eats, we yeah. typically cover small mom and pop businesses. Uh -huh. So it's like, it's Lydia's Sandwich Shop. Yeah. And you have one and maybe uh -huh. you have two, maybe you have three. Mm -hmm. The alternative to that is you have Lydia's Sandwich Shop. Mm -hmm. You only have one. 
But then you sell Lydia Sandwich mm. Shop, which has always on marketing and awareness because of what you do as a creator, mm. right? And then you could sell the concept where you say, like it's all turnkey basically. There's like a manual. Mm -hmm. And then how the franchising company makes money is you mm -hmm. get 6% typically of everything, everything, they make. everything they make. How do I make sure though that they're upholding the standards of that I want? So like, you usually have a um, franchise, like you have someone that audits that. Oh, okay. So you have secret shoppers, you have okay. a uh, you have a development manager that'll go and- Regional and, manager yeah. that checks in yeah. and that you also have to like, you know, send annual reports, mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah, so that people and then also there's like regional managers that comes in, like I said, to do like quality control. Uh huh. You know, what I mean? wow. Yeah. So it's like a place like Chipotle. Is there only one true Chipotle and then everything yeah. else is so Chipotle's uh, Chipotle is all corporate owned stores. So you either have corporate owned stores or your franchise. Ah, okay. Yeah. yeah. So and McDonald's is franchise. Exactly. But Chipotle is corporate. Exactly. But isn't Chipotle owned by the same person as McDonald's? I thought I heard that once. Uh, that might be wrong. I just you're absolutely right. So what happened was uh, McDonald's made an investment in Chipotle because they were growing so fast, uh -huh. and then they were like, okay, this is great, but it doesn't really fit our thesis. Uh -huh. So then Chipotle bought themselves back, and then they went public. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. But yes, you're right. They were owned in part by McDonald's. Huh. I didn't know any of that, or I didn't know that that whole franchise system. So those are the only two options: corporate owned or franchise. Typically, or or just single unit operator. And you know, like let's say if. Like key locations, let's say uh, a McDonald's in Times Square, mm -hmm. that's most likely uh, corporate owned, mm -hmm. corporate owned and operated. Mm -hmm. But if it's like a McDonald's in somewhere in in the deep cut of Wyoming, mm -hmm. next to like a gas station, mm -hmm. probably a franchisee. Okay, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, so like yeah. those, there's like specific locations where they needed for marketing purposes. Yeah, you know that they could be present in like a key location. Right. You know. Um, but yeah, I say all that to say, uh, I think I like Sweet Green's product. I just yeah. thought that it was interesting to hear from the side of somebody who is a franchisee himself and breaking it down. Like, oh, okay. So Sweet Green does the franchise model. No, they're corporate. Right, right now, they don't have a franchise model. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's really hard for uh, a food business of this style to scale if you don't take on a franchise model. Okay. And why aren't they taking it on then? Who knows? Yeah. You know, because I think the underlying thesis for them initially was, yo, we're trying to Ollie. sell cool. Oh, we're trying to sell that, yo, we're this yeah. thing that, because, you know, and also as, as easy as it sounds, running a franchise is actually really challenging to create that system. I mean, it sounds, and to like make sure that every one of your stores are like, you know, as I said, like matching the, the original vision you had. Totally. I mean, that must be like so hard yeah. well, to be consistent. I mean, like up. Dunkin' Donuts, for instance, yeah. right? It's easy to run a franchise because, yeah. yo, you're just getting yeah. a product that is shipped to you. Yeah. And like you all just the donuts are shipped. You know None are made in-house. Yeah, no, yeah. no, they're all yeah. shipped. So it's like, yeah, yeah like you could do that. Uh, yeah. You know, like if it's like a McDonald's, as easy as it looks, yeah. yo, there's like 60 items on a menu and certain burgers have to be done this way mm -hmm. certain fries have to be done this way mm -hmm. yo you actually do have to go through a quality control process yeah a couple things that might interest you number one the largest franchise prior to mcdonald's used mm -hmm. to be subway and, oh. I, and i know you love sandwiches right yeah, yeah. so subway was a, a huge franchise yeah. and they have average unit volume auvs uh -huh. one of the highest auvs yeah. is um chick-fil-a mm. so i want to show you like 
McDonald's, their approach is very much like they want multi-unit operators. Mm -hmm. So if you have one, like there's so many crazy baller McDonald's owners Mm -hmm. because they all have like five. They have Mm -hmm. 10 because they want people with multiple units, right? So the gentleman who first brought McDonald's to Japan back in the 70s, like he's a billionaire. Yeah. You know, and you could do that with McDonald's. Would someone like that ever like sub-franchise their franchises? What the franchises will do is they'll give territories. So they call them DMAs. So you have specific markets. Uh And so the way that it typically works is if someone goes, and there's conventions, by the way, Mm -hmm. where all these franchise brands show up and they're like, they're they're trying to solicit new business. Uh And then they'll say, okay, cool. I want all of the West Coast or I want all of America, right? Uh They'll set a price for that area. And it's Uh like usually annual where, you know, every few years you have to keep paying the fee. You know what I mean? To the brand. To the brand. To the brand. But then if you're making $3 million. It doesn't matter. It's it's typically, again, it's typically 6% total, 4%. Of top line, just percentage of sales and 2% that they put towards marketing. Basically, the value was, hey, if you're McDonald's, people, no matter where they are, the brand is so strong that they're yeah. going to want McDonald's, right? Mm, Subway yeah. Subway runs ads during the Olympics. Mm-hmm. So that, that's where they justify the 2% spend on the on the thing. And for a lot of small business owners, they only have to operate. They get the bread sent to them. Mm-hmm. They get like everything's already turnkey, right? McDonald's versus Chick-fil-A is very interesting in that McDonald's wants multi-unit operators. Chick-fil-A wants single operators. And so multi-unit is a franchisee who owns several. Exactly. But Chick-fil-A is very much the opposite. They're like, hey, we want Jakey to own one. And he has to work it at least one day a week. Because Uh. their whole philosophy is if that owner is that invested in it, the quality and the brand, the customer service is that much higher. And that's why Chick-fil-A, they have the highest average unit volume in in the game. And that's why like generally, forget how you you feel about their their social sort of beliefs, Mm. but most people that go there, they love the brand. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, people always speak of how like when, what's the thing that people at Chick-fil-A, the employees always say, my pleasure. Yeah. Like they have to say my pleasure (laughs) to everything. Yeah, Yeah, I I mean, it's like a talked about thing, how good the customer experience is when you go to Chick-fil-A. So what he was saying about real estate, to bring it all the Mm -hmm. way back, in their franchise agreement, McDonald's owns the land. Yeah. So you can't even just put a McDonald's where you want. You have to put it in their predestined, predetermined locations. Uh-huh. And guess who owns the land that the franchisee has to pay rent on? McDonald's. Well, McDonald's Corporation. Oh, so they're yeah. making Super money smart. two ways. Super smart. Yeah. Oh, so they're, oh, like this is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. They're a real estate company. Yeah, yeah. This is the real estate thing that I was talking about. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. So they're like paying rent to McDonald's and they're paying a totally franchise of their profits. Yeah. 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 Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Kind of makes me want to start. <laughs> no, totally. <laughs> I want to start my own McDonald's. Well, like my well, I mean, I think that's a perfect sort of topic yeah. because why do people even sign up to be a franchisee? Yeah. At the end of the day, it literally be like 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Yeah. The entire value of that franchise yeah. is that it's easy to remember when you need like disposal yeah. services, right? Yeah. And then, and then they're going to run ads that, that are billboards. They're going to run TV, like radio ads. They're doing yeah. all that stuff, yeah. right? But in today's world, yeah. are you, if you have like a hauling service, are you down to give 6% away yeah. because they're driving? Like who even calls like, you know, businesses anymore, right? Right. Or 1-800-GOT-FLOWER, like, you know, yeah. 1-800-FLOWERS. Yeah. So that's, that's what's fascinating to us because essentially in, in the food space, what's happening is that those franchise, the food franchises, they're being made by creators or people with audiences yes. and community. Yeah. And they don't even have locations. Yeah. Yeah. So this is something that I think we could bring it back because 
you last time. So I think, so let's just bring it back. Let's okay, bring are it we back. recording right yeah, now? Yeah, we're recording. Oh, yeah, okay. Been All right, should, yeah. I, should I let's stay bring, close? No, 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 no. You're good. It's fine. You're good. Okay. You're good. Let's bring it back. So okay. you were actually our inaugural guest. I was. Uh, but proud. because due to some technical difficulties, you were so gracious enough to actually come back. My pleasure. Uh, it only been a month since we caught up. So mm -hmm. we actually now have a very good idea of who you are. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, um, some of this conversation might feel repetitive. That's okay. Uh, maybe we don't even have to talk about the stuff that we talked about yeah, before. That's what and, I'm saying. Yeah. So you've you've invested in Creators Lunch in many ways. Uh, yes. Through well... sweat equity. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so, uh, so I appreciate you for coming back. Oh, it's uh, I, I love hanging with you guys. Yeah, so it's yeah. fun. So... Last time you've mentioned that one of your dreams is to own a sandwich shop. And I yes. think that's why we're even talking about yeah. so mm. in-depthly about, you know, franchising and, yeah. you know, ideas surrounding the whole motto of creators becoming these uh, franchise owners or potentially right. uh, uh, franchise owners. And I think another reason why we even brought this up, because this idea is rather fresh in our heads. Um, so his best friend. And I think we could put this out there because yeah, it's fine. public yeah. knowledge. Mm. His best friend uh, owned a uh, frozen yogurt franchise mm -hmm. called 16 Handles. Mm. Um, I think I've been there. Yeah. So yeah. their OG location is in the East Village. And okay. it's been there for two decades now, right? Mm. Almost. Yeah. Yeah, like two decades oh, now. 2008. 2008. 2008. Yeah. So it's, it's been there for, for, you know, close to two decades at this point. Okay. And uh, he recently... Uh, cashed out okay so he exited okay um and he sold it to a creator wow yeah interesting and he sold it to a creator and his thesis was that yo as much as i could invest in marketing yeah and as much as i could continuously try to improve my customer service yeah. and innovate in terms of product line uh there's only so much i could do in terms of connecting with a community yeah this, this creator has millions of followers right and has the pulse of what's going on uh -huh. in real time. Yeah. And I'd rather be an advisor and stay on the board mm -hmm. than for me to just continuously, uh, you know, latch on to this thing. Mm. And I, I'm sure you could kind of break it down, but is that like the basis of why he decided to sell it to a creator? 100%, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So is the is the creator going to keep the name 16 I mean, we could talk. Candles? Yeah, the so the creator's, you know Danny Duncan? I don't. He's the one that had the, he had the virginity rocks. Essentially, I think he did like $40 million in merch. Oh my God. Isn't that nuts? Was it all one? It's like, all shirt? just, what, no, I, it's, it's his line. Okay. And his community on YouTube is that deep. Merch is something that I've, haven't really cracked the code on as a creator myself, even though I'm obviously a much smaller creator than someone like Danny. I had a hat, this hat that people still ask me to bring back and make, but it was, I did it all myself. I designed it. I got it shipped to me through custom, custom ink, I think is that like yep. kind of standard uh -huh. yeah. um, service and then it got it shipped to me and then it all came to my house and then I got a literal label printer and I was like a Amazon fulfillment center for two days, just like putting it on, making sure I had the right amount. Some people ordered two hats, some people ordered three. And that was like so much time that it literally did take three days for me to fully pack and then take all of that to the post office. So I was like, surely this can't be the right approach to merch, even though I'm technically getting the biggest piece of 
profit from it because I'm not hiring someone to do this for me. But then there's um, companies like Campfire because I've worked with them before where they they basically help you come up with the design together and then they have their own website where people buy your merch from their website and then they fulfill the orders and everything. But they obviously take a huge piece of the pie. I can't remember exactly how much. And I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm a little bit getting like... Like this is my brand and they're they're profiting from my brand, which I know is kind of part of growth and business growth. But I'm like, that can't be right either. So then I've kind of haven't done any merch because I feel a little bit like, you know, that like paralyzed by not wanting to put in a ton of work and doing it all myself, but then also not wanting to outsource to a third party that I feel like takes too much. My first question to you would be like, what's your why for merch, right? Well, the, it's a, a great right. question. I know the point of this podcast is ultimately yeah. to help people yeah. who are interested in either becoming creators or just generally interested in the creator economy to learn more. And I, in my mind, I think the greatest benefit of coming out with merch is to continue to foster that community mindset, that your followers feel like they're part of something, that they belong to something. And I mean, for me, at least, I think that's why a lot of my followers like really love the Fruit Gang hats, because that's like what my community is called, Fruit Gang. And I mean, I, I kind of have this like this is like a, the broad, my broad strokes philosophy on, of the Internet and of creators that it's, you know, we live in like a, a world where loneliness is at its all like all-time high levels and the internet is this way for us to feel connected but we don't we're not really connected with each other cuz we're all behind screens but i think merch and like wearing the name or wearing a hat that says the community that you're part of whether it be fruit gang or something else you you just feel like that little more part of a group by mm -hmm. the way let's zoom out a little bit yeah. right you know what a t-shirt or a hat is it's a cross. It's the star of David. Yes, it's a, exactly. That's exactly, exactly what that is, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's something that symbolizes to others mm -hmm. around the world mm -hmm. that this is the community that I'm mm -hmm. part of. Mm -hmm. And then, and then let's. I don't want to turn this into a religious thing, but mm -hmm. if you if you really break down what those institutions that I just brought mm -hmm. up are, yeah, what do they provide you? They provide community. you. They they provide you community. You have ritual of yeah. uh, of attendance. You have values. You mm -hmm. have missions that are reinforced. It's so interesting. Okay, so I've been thinking so much about religion recently because I grew up totally atheist. But it, this parallel that you're drawing is so true. And you know, if you look at religion and you look at creators, what did both start with? Sometimes I f always feel worried about um, offending people when I talk about religion as someone who isn't religious because I'm like, I don't want to undermine their religion but at the end of the day the bible was a story that someone wrote and told and what was that initial use it gave people an entertaining story and then over time it became all these other things that you listed and a creator initially what are they their entertainment but then they start it starts becoming like the creator's community becomes something bigger than the creator itself. The belief. Yes. The, the belief get fortified not by the actual mouth that originates from is is the gospel that gets preached and then it eventually turns into something else. Like Paul didn't yeah. hang out with Jesus. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Let's drill in even more, right? Yeah. So when we say when I say the word creator, yeah. When I say serve, yeah. When you say, oh, that person's a, a oh, what a cult of personality. Yeah. You have K-pop idols. You have yeah. all these things. None of these things are by mistake. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because at the core, I completely agree with you yeah. that you know it all starts with a it starts with a testimony yeah. and a story. Yeah. Right? When you said, hey, I'm not sure I want to talk about religion because you know people might. Yeah. Yeah. 
I actually think, again, coming back to the creator mm -hmm. component of it is if you really have, if you're a real creator, not an influencer, mm -hmm. if you're a real creator, mm. you will have a true community that sticks with you through whatever. Mm. And that's why, again, in some of these institutions that we talk mm -hmm. about, crazy stuff happens when you're looking at it from the outside mm -hmm. in, right? Mm -hmm. But then like people in your community will actually back you up more mm -hmm. and say, good for you. You stand for something. Yeah. Yeah. I have been to that point trying to reshape my perspective on like both people unfollowing me if that ever happens. But then I did post something not that recently, like a couple months ago where I was, um, it was, it was kind of just supposed to be a funny video. I was literally, it was literally just supposed to be satire, but I was like, I will, the joke was that I would never trust TikTok therapists. I don't know if you guys ever see these. I see um, them all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like, you know, a whole, that's a whole world on TikTok. These therapists who come on and then they create these huge followings with their therapy videos. What was supposed to be a joke was that I will never trust them because there's something, I think there's something inherently, um, untrustworthy and kind of dark about anyone trying to become famous on the internet. And it was clearly me trying to make a joke at myself. Like, obviously that's what I'm trying to do. And like, I'm like, you have to have a screw loose if you're trying to get a following on the internet. And like, obviously a therapist is supposed to be this sound voice of knowledge. Anyway, it was a joke. It wasn't even a very funny joke, but then one of the TikTok therapists, I also posted this on my burner account. One of the TikTok therapists with a huge following um, duetted my video and was like, this is incredibly offensive, especially given that like, I am here giving free help to millions of people, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh God, like, okay. I just, I didn't, I clearly, I like triggered him in some way, but then, some people from his following came to my video in my comment, my original video in my comment section and was like, what a disappointing video. And like, we're like shitting on me. Right. Not the first time this happened. So I was like, oh, okay. And then my followers, especially like the people who follow my burner, these are loyal folks. You know, like if they found my burner account, like they, they like know me, I feel like. And then they started defending me. And I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. Like the these people, like they get it. I was making a silly joke. Maybe it was landed on this one man the wrong way. But like, I didn't say anything that was like, cruel or like trying to break like you know punch down you know that sort of thing and that was cool that like i feel like i saw my followers really know me and see me and the same thing with un when people unfollow me i'm like okay well good i guess because i'm getting a more the people that are still here are the people who are actually going to engage with my content can we share two like tactics from that actually that yeah. we do all the time we yeah. literally pinned that comment to the top oh smart so you guys don't give a <laughs> fuck you're like we yeah. are not emotionally we, we literally pin, we'll pin it to the yeah. top and we'll reply mm -hmm. because what ends up happening is that reinforces your community and signals to everybody that like you are who you are and mm -hmm. if you don't get it mm -hmm. you don't get it you should make that a series actually yeah i never trust a tiktok finance bro i never trust a tiktok financial advice because yeah. tiktok yeah. is full of all of yeah, that right just people <laughs> i never trust yeah. the tiktok cook yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. it's all of it right it, it, like yeah that's what it is and then as long as you're self like here's the thing you could even be self-deprecating and make mm -hmm. make the entire i mean you used to do stand-up comedy yeah. right like the whole thing is a joke. And yeah. if they don't get it, yeah. it's like, yo, my community, they get that it's yeah. a joke. Yeah. But you're going to keep getting that churn of yeah. like, 
What do you mean financial? Yeah. You know, because everyone's an expert. Yeah. Everyone's a studio gangster. Like everyone's yeah. out there doing their thing. Yeah. And no one's, you know. That's actually a pretty fun series. That's what I'm saying. If you actually talk about like, I would never trust a TikTok chef yeah. as you're cooking. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you're like, I never trust a TikTok accountant as yeah. you're doing taxes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't. find that hilarious. Yeah. I, I, I'm not on like TikTok, finance TikTok. But yeah. I am on cooking TikTok and I clearly am on a little bit of therapy TikTok. Yeah. And both, I, I with the chef, there are some chefs that like the stuff they make, I'm like, that looks disgusting. And, yeah. and they like, at the end of the video, they eat it and they're like, mm. and I'm like, no way. No <laughs> way was that good. But I think, again, it's also interesting because we know that you had, uh, you've attempted to do stand up comedy. And I you have were, attempted. You had, yeah. you had a whole phase where you were <laughs> working and yeah. um, yeah. you're working as a writer. Right. And that was, a trajectory for mm -hmm. you so i understand that you have this understanding of humor mm -hmm. and you also get that there's nuance to humor yeah and uh in comedy if if you're not poking fun of something which inherently is gonna make somebody somewhere offended mm -hmm. then it's not great comedy in my opinion yeah so the fact that somebody's if you're doing a comedy where nobody's ever gonna be offended, yeah, I don't even know if yeah. like, I want to watch that. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? You know, there's like social media expert, like there's yeah. brand managers on TikTok telling yeah. you how to how to make videos. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's there's so many people he because gets up, he gets upset yeah. whenever he sees one of those. It's like, what the fuck are these people? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because like, you, know, like, <laughs> you do not. A lot of the times, do you think they're giving bullshit advice? Well, I think that right now. The only way you can find the community and build a community mm -hmm. is by making your utility super obvious. Mm -hmm. And so what I think happened was a lot of people went to things that had large addressable markets where people were looking for information, mm -hmm. taxes, uh, stocks, mm -hmm. therapy. Like they went to all these places mm -hmm. and then they started becoming like so-called experts, mm -hmm. right? And and TikTok is really great for that in particular mm -hmm. because they, they didn't check you. Mm -hmm. Like they didn't check you, right? You didn't need to come on with an existing like mm -hmm. fan base or a community. If you were making the content almost mm -hmm. like a Google search or, or like a wiki article, mm -hmm. they were just feeding you to whoever else and yeah. because you because you don't really follow names anyway on yeah. there they're just like okay cool i'll follow yeah yeah well okay so i'm interested in what you guys think of this because i feel like we're spot we're talking about a very specific type of creator where you're you're as you're saying the utility is obvious th with the first video you watch if they're a lawyer creator who gives legal advice like every single video that they post on tiktok is about legal advice but what i find myself most interested in doing as a creator, and maybe this is because I feel like I don't have a very niche skill set that I can offer on the internet, other than being like a vaguely entertaining person. And the people I see who do this specific type of content creation and are very successful with it are ones like like the Emma Chamberlains, who, like what does Emma Chamberlain do? She, but she has fostered the most loyal community that now has like endured years and years. So I feel like it's pretty unflappable. And and then there's other examples of these creators that I have seen blow up on TikTok where, you know, maybe, maybe they do some fashion stuff like get ready with me. Maybe they do some makeup stuff. Um, maybe some of their videos are, you know, none of their videos are all the same. So you go to the, their page and you're like, huh, who's this person about? Like maybe first you click on them because they're hot or that you liked what they said in one video. And then you start scrolling and you find yourself getting somewhat 
like invested, invested and yeah. like oh, like enamored by the, this person. You're like, oh, I kind of get it. Like, I want to keep watching them. And then you find yourself. And this has literally happened to me as a content consumer. I think what it does is it creates this feeling of like, that's a friend or like, and it's obviously not a friend. It's like, that's a totally parasocial relationship. But those are the creators who I'm like, they've hit the jackpot because they don't, they're not offering any specific skill. They're never going to run out of content, like topics to talk about because end of the day, if you're a law creator, how much like true creators and not mm -hmm. influencers, they are able to constantly land and expand. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's use Emma just as an yeah. example. Right. Yeah. I'm not super familiar with her content, but I think the thing that actually blew her up is no different from the idea you just talked about, which was she did like a fake haul mm. when haul videos were really big. So like everyone's doing these crazy yes, like no, bougie hauls, her, right? Yeah, that was the, she did a haul from um, the dollar store, <laughs> and that was that was the video that popped her off. Yeah, exactly, and then, right? And and some people are like, oh my god, I, why would you do this haul? Yeah, that it, yeah. uh, and other people got it, mm -hmm. right? So some of that first utility might have been like, she's funny, like mm -hmm. I, you know, I fuck with her, mm -hmm. and then some people might watch and say, oh dude, she's she's whatever she's beautiful mm -hmm. like she's she's like a fashion person now now right? she's like, like a high right? fashion yeah, yeah, yeah. model yeah. some people might say oh you know what um she what what an amazing business person with chamberlain coffee like yeah. you, you know it could be so many different things but i think she's such a great example of um someone that's been able to constantly reinvent and, and adapt yeah and, and do it in a way where she's probably gonna have attrition <clears throat> and, and churn throughout all of that but continuously do it. Now, I loved our last conversation yeah. when we talked about the struggles of being known for one thing, both yes. of you guys, and then having to shift and try to grow so yeah. that you can constantly expand, but then uh, finding sort of friction and, and resistance to that from your community. I love that. But you yeah. guys have that same thing, both of you. And I actually think it's great that I'd rather go through that friction uh, every once in a while for us to go into different addressable markets and just continuously expand even as human beings because, you know, I started off on TikTok making cooking videos. I haven't made a cooking video in years now mm. at this point. But now I'm, I'm, now I'm known for highlighting mom and pop eateries. Mm -hmm. And it, we started this podcast and maybe in a year or two I'll be known as the guy who interviews other creators, yeah. right? So it's... It's just a natural progression and also it's just another uh, testament that as individuals and as creators, as just, you know, just as humans, we're not one faceted creatures, mm -hmm. you know, we're multifaceted, yeah. you know what I mean? But that initial friction is just something that we have to get accustomed to. Yeah. And be comfortable with having sometimes for months videos flop. when you're trying to make that pivot, like the, the first videos you make are going to flop. Because yeah. people are gonna be like, what? And this, I know we talked about this last time, but I, I'm i really struggling with my main TikTok account that has almost 2 million followers because that I fear that that account has gone through too many iterations of pivots. The first content I made was comedy. Then I went to storytelling while putting on makeup. And that was comedic storytelling. And then I ran out of comedy material, so I started going into scary stories. And I started telling scary stories for a year, about a year. And then I was like, what am I doing on the internet? I'm like an adult woman. Like, 
telling scary stories. Like this is embarrassing. Like this isn't what I want to be doing with my life. And then I started being thinking, okay, let, let me see if I can just be like a run of the mill influencer who shares her outfits, shares the things she's interested. One in one of the things I happen to be interested in was running. People loved the running. I was like, great. I love running too. So why don't I just share this? Now I would say most people know me as the, oh, and during that time also was tasting fruit. And so I became kind of like running fruit influencer. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like now, I don't know. And then I was traveling. I'm yeah, like, do I do the... travel content? It's just too much. And now my videos flop on that account constantly. But it's not your fault. It's not, I, I don't look at it as your fault because it's also, it's a combination of a lot of things. I mean, TikTok as an app has also matured mm -hmm. and right now they probably have a billion tiktok users right yeah like, hypothetically mm -hmm. i don't know the exact number but once you hit that billion mark mm -hmm. the growth is only going to stall mm -hmm. as an app mm. so that means that there's a billion people now on the app and there are more and more creators coming in and tiktok is even though it's a social media it's also a media company mm -hmm. so whoever that is gonna have an influence on the algo even though everybody in that building always says we have no idea how the algo works they're also doing programming. Oh, so you think they, they need, choose creators? I don't think they necessarily choose it. There was evidence that they they can press the button and kind of put the thumb on the scale to whoever they wanted. Yeah. So like, yo, like oh, we need some fresh faces. Yeah. So yo, J Key was the deep voice Asian food creator in 2020. Yeah. 2021. Let's get another yeah. Asian food creator yeah. in 20. You know what I'm saying? Like it, yeah. it's it's just gonna like I don't think again I don't think it's done in a way where they're not looking out for our best interest, no. you know what I mean? But yeah. they're looking out for their best interest. Yeah. Does that make sense? Totally. But yeah. but I do think that there's something to to the automated algorithm not being able to identify and clearly put you in a lane, right? 100%, right? yeah. So it's not entirely just like a, a curated, mm -hmm. we want this person to succeed or mm -hmm. don't want them to succeed anymore. I think there is a bit of that. Thank you for sharing sharing your journey. Mm. If we if we shared Jakey's journey, it'd be the exact same thing, yeah. with the exact same struggles. Mm -hmm. Which is why we we split out righteous eats even because mm -hmm. people were like, "Yo, keep cooking. Why are you highlighting mm -hmm. restaurants? We don't want to see this shit." Mm. Hey, you just went to Kenya. You just went to Colombia. We just went to. We don't want to see that shit. Mm -hmm. Like everything was like that. Mm -hmm. And and in many ways, when we started righteous eats, people were like, "We don't want to see this from you." So I think if this is helpful at all, the thing that we the way that we answered that question and even this podcast is an answer to that question again we were like okay what's something that if you had to do for the rest of your life and never changed that you you're proud of and that you could live with yourself every single day and doing it because even if you go back go go check the receipts from last year right starting in august mm -hmm. right jakey was doing korean content he was doing travel content. He was doing vlog, personal, like day in the life of a 30-something-year-old content. Then then all of that stuff. And then we went into like, okay, well, he's like, dude, I don't want to talk about, I love international mm -hmm. travel. I'm not trying to spend nine months out of the year on the road. Not right now, yeah. right? I love K-pop and I'm a, I'm a subject matter expert in like all things Korean because I read the Korean news. Like mm -hmm. I do all those things, mm -hmm. but like, you know, I'm not on it so, I'm not so up to date that I want to become the subject matter yeah. expertise on that. Yeah. Sure, I like new jeans, but I'm not, you know, like yeah, I, yeah, I don't yeah. want to be the go-to person for that. Yeah. 
And so what we what we ended up on was, okay, well, what are you passionate about? He's yeah. like, dude, we talk about the creator economy every day. Let's do that. And then guess what? And People were like, I don't tanking. want to say that from you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was sinking, yeah. yo. Yeah. Yeah. So what we're doing now, though, yeah. is regardless of how this platform does, at the mm -hmm. end of the day, there is a bit of strategy in that Yo, if we're talking about these things over a meal, mm -hmm. there's a cleaner, clearer connection between Righteous Eats and Creator's Lunch where we break bread and you're flying the wall listening to the things that we would talk about anyway. Mm -hmm. But then secondly, regardless of how it does, we're not going to stop. Yeah. Because we okay. believe in it. Yeah. And that's what Righteous Eats was. Yeah. And that's what this is. And it's also a separate channel now. Yeah. So it's not just something. Well, that isn't that I'm what Daddy Snorlax is? Like, yes. That's your commitment to you. Yeah. Right? And, and completely. And that I've had this, and, and I don't think I've ever really put it to words even in my own head, but this same exact conversation with myself of like, okay, what do, what do I want to do? Like literally, what do I want to talk about? Who do I want to be? And um, I think a lot of it, like that question, the way I have historically answered it for myself is who do I admire? Because who do I admire is a huge indicator of like the qualities I want and, and the qualities I want to have myself. Obviously, that's not always the case. Like I admire LeBron James, but I don't want to be a men's NBA player. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I, I admire, like I, I constantly find myself admiring Joan Didion and Susan Sontag, oh, who are like okay. these that in their time, they were what they really were is cultural critics and, and they put it into beautiful writing and, you know, they wrote amazing essays that in a way, like, what does that look like in a modern day? Like someone who's a cultural critic and look like, I don't know, I, most of Daddy Snorlax is literally me just shooting the shit on my on my you know, it's a, it's not, it's very raw. It's me just talking to my camera. And some of those videos do really well. Like sometimes people really do care what I have to say and like my thoughts and my perspective. And if I could just continue to make content, and I know that seems like kind of lazy content. And I would, I think like just talking to your camera like that of compared to the type of beautiful content you guys make. I don't think it's, don't think it's lazy content. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, it's about the people on the receiving end. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. like you might be able to create something that you consider the magnum opus, mm -hmm. but if nobody likes it, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. who cares? I know. You it's know? so and sad when you make a video that you, I'm like, <laughs> where you put days of effort into editing and like maybe you even shoot it on a beautiful camera and then it literally gets like a thousand views. I mean, but like, it, but if awesome. you appreciated the process and yeah. if you like the output, then sure, I think it's, it's it has its own merits and its own yeah. value. But uh, when you are providing content on a social media platform mm -hmm. you know the underlying intent for all of us is to put something out there that not only you're happy with but mm -hmm. you also are affecting people in various ways mm -hmm. right like you're trying to get a reaction mm -hmm. whether that's positive or mm -hmm. negative or you know they love it or they hate it mm -hmm. you know whatever it may be so i think you know even if it's just you shooting the shit talking about a specific topic of what's going on in the mm -hmm. world and your own perspective. And if that's connecting with your audience, that's what your community wants from you, then yeah, sure. I think you should just continuously do that. And and I think it's interesting because I started my account, I started Lydia Lou, my main account, being talking a lot and saying a lot of controversial opinions. I mean, it was me sharing my stand-up comedy, which, like as you as you said, yeah. is like if you're not offending anyone with your comedy, then like it's probably pretty um, what's it, lukewarm. Yeah, you know, Nisa Sasson, man. 
what and he's seasoned. Oh, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And I wasn't scared at all because, like, I was like, okay, I didn't even know what it meant that some of my videos went viral. I'm like, who's seeing this? Like, is this, are these numbers real? Like, I didn't even know. And then, you know, over time, I got a little, um, you know, uh, I get what's the word like when you've been burnt a couple times and so you get a little shy, uh -huh. like scared of the flame a little bit because I start, you know, I had a couple videos where... Well, you had a lot more to lose. More to lose and more people, more eyes on my content. So more haters, mm. just, you know, mm. the more eyes you have, the more people, you, critics totally. you're gonna have in the comment section. And as much as I'm like, oh, that didn't affect me. Like, I think it did. And it made me be like, okay, I'm just gonna keep saying less and less and less and like, and share more like, What's the most benign, un uncontroversial thing you can do? Eat fruit on the internet and say, oh, it's amazing. <laughs> like even when I was trying, like, like when I tried durian, which like I- Stinky. Yeah, uh, and I did not like durian. I knew that if I posted a video of me absolutely shitting on durian and being like, I really did not like that and being truly honest with my experience with the fruit, yeah, people would be like, you're a, a huge, white woman yeah. on the internet eating uh, a fruit that's conventionally from Southeast Asia and that is racist of you. That's what, and, and I, even when I made the video where I was like, oh, it's not really my thing, but I can see why people would like it, which ended up being what I said on the internet. There were still people in the comments being like, and people were debating, oh, I thought she addressed it politely. I thought she was, and I was like, like you can't even be honest about how you, like whether you liked a piece of fruit or not yeah. without the, those sort of accusations yeah. on TikTok. Like, I'm just gonna run. Yeah. Well, who can I offend there? Silent. Yeah. <laughs> because the internet is so fast. Mm -hmm. And you have no control or visibility of who is watching this, mm -hmm. who is watching your content. Mm -hmm. You're always gonna have somebody out there who feels differently. So even pertaining to running content <laughs> and me talking about openly how I've gained some pounds yeah. over the years, yeah. highlighting food, making food. Mm -hmm. And I openly talk about, you. you know, like yo, this year I wanna I wanna shed some weight mm -hmm. and I wanna get my jawline back. Yeah, you know jawline retrieval operation. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, you know, and a lot of people are they find it funny. Mm -hmm. uh, they've they're, they're encouraging me, but I also had a group of people mm -hmm. saying that I'm fat shaming. Yeah, yep. And I've, I'm I've like, been, I've been accused of fat shaming yo. Before, yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I want to be active, yeah. dog. Like, yeah. I'm talking about me. I'm not mm -hmm. saying anything about mm -hmm. you, mm -hmm. but just me talking about, mm -hmm. like, I want to stay fit. I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, how's that fat shaving? You well, know, like, totally. I, I actually, like, seriously thought about this. I was like, yo, I, I, I don't, I don't get mm -hmm. how that is fat shaving because I'm talking about me. I'm not talking about you, mm -hmm. unless mm -hmm. that you had a certain type of preconceived notion that I'm supposed to be this type of way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I apparently said something that didn't align with yeah. how you perceive life. But that right. doesn't mean that it, 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 this isn't me attacking you by any means. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it, if anything, the internet has showed me, because I've had a similar, uh, the, my experience with being accused of fat shaming was I put on this um, workout outfit. It was uh, like an exercise dress. Uh, and I was like, oh, the last time I put this on, I felt fat, so I didn't wear it. Why are we so mean to ourselves? Like it was part of a get ready. And then it was like cut to, okay, I'm gonna wear this hat today. Right. Anyway, I post that video, I go for my run. Uh -huh. I come back and people are like, this is such a fat phobic thing to say. 
Because like, and it's true, I guess the implication of what I was saying is because I looked, I felt I looked fat, that was a bad thing. Uh And therefore it was offensive to people who are fat. And I, I do get that, and I, fe- and I felt bad. I was like, at the end of the day, the last thing I want is anyone to watch my content and feel bad about themselves. But I also think people have a responsibility to take a step back and be like, okay, not everything is about me. And like this person can be talking about how they want to lose weight, and that doesn't have to be um, an indicator of what they think about my body. Right. Because I can want to lose weight and still think a fat person's beautiful. It's just personally how I want to feel my own body. Like it's right. like, you know, and but people I think struggle to to separate themselves from like what people are saying about themselves. It's like, you know, and it's crazy. <laughs> you know, clearly what is your kind of both of your passion project right now is content that's about the creator economy, right? And that's what this is, that's what other content you're making that's about the creator economy. Jakey, as you said, it was failing at the beginning or flopping at the beginning. Um, and so I imagine still bleeding. Still, okay. <laughs> still bleeding. And so I imagine you're still having to keep up with righteous eats content because that's your moneymaker, right? Not even. No. It's actually the lifestyle content, the Jakey Cho. It's just like you. It's the it's the large thing that was known, but to be honest, we're figuring out where it's gonna go. Mm-hmm. It's that still. Okay. It's still it's a lagging on indicator. Running, you know, lifestyle content. It's, yeah. You know, is that that is still what's keeping the lights on? Okay. Hopefully, this year, like righteous eats, you know, becomes the main money maker for us. But the past two years, it was just an investment. Mm. It's an investment with fruitful results. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of sales, in terms of you know actual money coming in for it, nah, that hasn't been uh, that hasn't been the main driver. I think that if you were to make the main channel essentially Daddy Snorlax, mm-hmm. I think that's actually the trend that's going on across the board right now, which is people are essentially trying to purge and find out who their real community is. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right. So just make the make the commitment that you okay, great. Through all these times, pandemic, this, that, the other, I built it from this to two million. Mm-hmm. I might lose 500,000 followers, but I know that that 1.5 is my real community. Wait, so are you saying make Daddy Snorlax content on my main account? If that's the thing that you're most passionate about. Yeah. I think there's a couple approaches. You could say, you know what? Lifestyle running content, you know, just, I mean, you're you're, you're a collegiate athlete. Like, yeah. that is you, right? Right. It's like, oh, I want to do that and that's going to be my vehicle. Yeah. And if that's the thing that you want to, const- you're willing to... Regardless of views, mm-hmm. if you're willing to do that for just say 18 months practically, yeah. if you're literally willing to do that for 18 months, mm-hmm. regardless of brand deals or whatever, yeah. do that. Right. But if the thing that you're truly passionate about, regardless of brand deals, regardless of viewership, regardless mm-hmm. of engagement, yeah. that you really want to do is Daddy Snorlax, then do that. Yeah. Because ultimately in that period of time, yeah. you will have an even stronger community. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of where I've, this is like this pivot point that I'm at. I'm at a point as a creator where I'm like, well, I kind of want to start making some other content or a different type of content, or I exclusively want to focus on Daddy Snorlax and I don't really feel like, I don't know, dealing with my main account anymore. And I a lot of, and I, this was the advice you gave me, you guys both gave me last time, which is keep up with the main account content and just continue to grow the Daddy Snorlax account. But of course, like, 
you have to think about, and I'm sure you guys have gotten here about like, well, the value of your time. And do I really have enough time to like really keep up Lydia Lou, but then also really dig my heels in and grow Daddy Snorlax? Because if I really only focused on Daddy Snorlax, if it was my one thing, I don't know. I just feel I could like really pop it off, but maybe that's not true. Um, I believe that to be true. Totally. Thank you. you no, 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 no. You don't. You want to know why? Why? Because I think that's going to be the most genuine to yeah. what you want to do. Yeah. And ultimately, as someone that's in your community, I can like I will believe it yeah. and support it more. Yeah. People know. Yeah. People know. Yeah. And so then it feels like the only and because people know, though it feels like the only point of me making the Lydia Lou content is to just show brands who might hire me to make content for them that, yeah, I'm still posting. I'm still active. Yeah, I may only get under 10K views on an account that has 1.7 million. And this is my ego a little bit getting involved where I'm like, that's embarrassing to post a video on an account that has 1.7 million followers and it doesn't even break 10K views. Like, I feel embarrassed about that. And maybe I should just get over that and be like, well, it's it's what's going on right now. But um, that's, I think it's giving me kind of a block of posting on Lydia Lou. Are you active on other uh, social media platforms as well? Not all, it's not all the same. Uh -huh. There is some overlap. My videos do well on YouTube shorts, but I forget to post. Mm. It's also tough, like, and I'm sure you guys struggle with this, like when one platform allows you to make videos up to 90 seconds, but then the other platform yeah. only lets you make 60 second videos and then TikTok now lets you make 10 minute videos. And so I guess the easiest would be just to continue make, like the lowest common denominator being the 60 second videos because that's YouTube shorts current limit. But yeah, it's like, I'm like, oh, this was a great video. Whoops, it was a minute and 19 seconds. Can't put it on YouTube shorts without this like random cutoff. So it's not as simple. And, and you, I think, and I have talked about like uploading content actually takes so much time. Yeah. Like if I'm, if on my to-do list is post this, I'm like, oh, that should take five minutes. No, that's going to take at least an hour because you want to get the caption right. You want to make, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh shoot, I put it in captions in the video and that one word is spelled wrong. Now I have to re like, you know, put it just that it just takes always so much longer than you think. And yeah. that's why I'm like, I should hire someone because at that time, at that point, there's not, it's just really like checking. Totally. You know? And I know you have a, you have a manager, but do you have a creative partner? No. Like, I think someone just to like run something by in terms of like, a, hey, what do you think strategically yeah. that understands the struggle of like mm -hmm. the creative process and the challenge of going from, I think, I think that might be helpful, right? Yeah, I think so too. Do you, do you guys, have you found in the creator lunches that most creators have creative partners? The answer is no to everyone except one person, Brian, and he has a manager who his first manager was probably similar to your manager in that mm -hmm. just handling the day-to-day -day business negotiation, sort of doing mm -hmm. that. And then he ended up switching because after that part was sort of over, mm -hmm. he went to he wanted someone that was much more strategic and high level yeah. and less about like, hey, instead of three, you need to make it five, you yeah. know, that, that kind of yeah, a thing, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, frankly, that's where we've had the most advantage in that like we're the sounding board for each other. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's, I think it's very important to work with somebody who not only understands what you need in terms of like top line business, mm -hmm. but somebody who could help you ideate and just, yeah, just mm -hmm. like he said, like be a sounding board. Because then you could have the trust to say, hey, like we literally said, regardless of how this does, are we passionate about it? Mm -hmm. Like, all right, fuck it, we're going to do it. I do also understand that right now you probably need a person who could help you 
do a lot of the stuff that's time suck. Yeah. Which is like uploading, editing. I briefly tried to hire someone for editing and it didn't work out for a couple of reasons. The main one being that she lives in Boston and obviously I moved to New York, but it was so, it was also challenging. Like, like she watches my content. She knows my style. She knows like the vibe I'm trying to give off and even still couldn't quite get it down to the point where we kept going, having to go back and forth with revisions. And then I, and then I was like, okay, this, what this, now this is taking me longer than if I just had edited it myself in the way that I wanted it. So that's, I guess that's kind of a growing pain of hiring someone. hundred percent. And you but have, it's an investment that you have to make if you want to commit to it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think the, the return, I mean, uh, the ROI is not always there, but when you do have an ROI is that after that process, now you have a well-oiled machine right. that they probably will understand your brand, what they will actually figure out how to construct your narrative better than you. Yeah. And yeah. But ROI is a great word because it, it all depends on what you're willing to, 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 to give up, right? Yeah. I think, you know, there's three factors, right? Good, fast, and cheap. You're going to usually only have two. So right now, oh. like you're, I'm going to go out on a limb and said, say this person who was very passionate about your content and yeah. watched, yeah. you probably weren't going to have to pay this person a lot of money. No. But then because they're passionate about it, yeah. right? Yeah. You're getting them probably at a look. Okay, well, if you pay a lot of money, and this isn't yeah. always true, by the way, you could hire like a fancy producer from so-and-so or yeah. whatever, yeah. and they're not going to necessarily do better. Yeah. But yeah. And she was actually fast, but it was yeah. just like not the fast. It wasn't good. Yeah, it wasn't good. Yeah. Right? It was it was fast and cheap. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. good. It wasn't right. good. No. <laughs> yeah. And then and then I kind of took blame, as I said, of like, oh, I should I have put more time into like training? And then I'm like, gosh, I'm like, this is crazy. I'm hiring an employee and I and I have to do the training, but it is an investment. And it once it once it's good and once you hit that sweet spot where you guys have a system then it's amazing because you can just start churning out double the yep. content. And that's what that's what really these platforms want is high volume, high quality. Yep. It's also where you're at in your own career too, right? No. Have you solicited an editor since? No. Okay. No, I've kind of, yeah, I kind of abandoned that pursuit. Partly because I think uh, like what we've talked about already of being at this pivot point and what is the content I'm trying to make. If I knew, okay, I was going to be making this kind of content or if I was like in the middle of a series or yeah, just like could even know myself what my regular oh. week of content would look like, then I feel it would be easier to hire someone. But I don't, I feel like I don't want to even bring someone into the mess that is my mind right now. Of like what, what type of content I should be making. I think that's smart. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to get help when you don't know what the ask is. Totally. Yeah, maybe maybe the help that you need right now is somebody who could filter through your emails, help you with scheduling and not necessarily making the content or editing the content, but help you create a structure so that you could just make the content. Mm -hmm. And that person could also help with uploading because mm. uploading, like you said, is a big time suck. Yeah. And if you could save maybe even two hours out of the day from yeah. you just uploading. That's a lot. Yeah, that Charges you is a lot. go off and make another video. Yeah. No, but even that, I I don't think that's the most, from the outside looking in, I think the biggest thing is, you, like, I think that's easy for you. You're an athlete. Again, yeah. you're very disciplined. Yeah. If you set your mind to something, you've proven through all of this, you're going to make it happen. I think what would be super helpful is someone that's very macro to be like, yo, before you do anything, let's slow down for a second and figure out, like, what you want to do. We always talk about managers and agents, right? Mm. A, a true manager, I think, is someone that can understand sort of the the, the bigger, the nuances in the bigger picture. 
I think an agent, and it sounds like your manager really specializes on, is great at this part of the business. She which used is, to be an agent. Well, exactly. Yeah. The, their entire goal is completely different. Mm -hmm. They're getting paid on what they eat and killed right now. Mm -hmm. What they kill and can eat right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. So so that's why it's, hey, can you do a roundup of like five when you do a get ready with me? Mm -hmm. Right? Which is way different than, hey, you know that thing that you just did that flopped? You should do that because I see a world in which whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah, like five years from now, <laughs> I could see us having a, you know, sandwich franchise together. Yeah. yeah. You know, whereas... An agent will look at it like, yo. I'm not getting paid in five years. Yeah. I, yeah. I need that 10% right now. Yeah. <laughs> so if you could do more branded content, yeah. that's good for me. Right. Because my contract with you is 24 months. Yeah. So after that 24 month, like, you know, I, I don't even have a relationship with you. So. Yeah. And again, I don't think it's, I'm not shitting on the yeah. agency model. It's just yeah. that, yo, that I totally get the hustle. Yeah. Uh, But it's not something that especially in the creator economy for people that want to be full-time content creators mm -hmm. many of us that decided to do this at this stage you know we burned the sales yeah like, this is it yeah this is our small business this yeah. is how we're gonna make a living yeah this is gonna be our retirement fund at least that's how i'm looking at it so if i'm gonna approach it this way this isn't just something that i have a five-year window that i need to milk as much as I can and then I'm out. Yeah. Like having a strategist, somebody who could see a long-term vision could be very helpful. Yeah. Especially when I feel at this point, I have like so many different, there's so many different prongs that at this point I could like take, do I lean into the food? Do I lean into the running? Do I lean into the more like, I don't know, just talking to the camera approach. How um, passionate are you with fruits? With fruits, yeah. I, I mean, I I love fruit, and I, uh, I, I I'm <laughs> I almost feel like it's the making content about it has almost made me like maybe less passionate. I, I it started off very I, very genuinely as a passion, but sometimes I just think those videos are silly. Like I'm like, what am I adding into the world by trying fruits? I mean, I guess maybe it makes people happy, but I'm. I think some, but it's also introducing fruits to people that might have never seen a Dorian before. That's true. Yeah, and that's there's value there. The reason why I say this mm -hmm. because, again, it's an investment of time, mm -hmm. right? So if you're passionate about fruits, like the way that I would think about it is, yeah, okay, cool. So Lydia becomes the foremost voice of fruits and options surrounding fruits yeah and there is this huge fruit market mm -hmm. <laughs> that exists and maybe there's like a curated exotic fruit lane that we could go after where lydia has her own line of fruit distribution yeah or like you know when you go to east asia you have those like catered fruit like baskets yeah do you know oishi one of our partners they do designer fruits oh what does that so, mean so they do high-end lab created strawberries that are extra sweet extra red extra yeah and they're like very in asia again fruit fruit culture is just crazy in asia as you know right like yeah. you gift fruit baskets especially in korean culture like you have can't you know like the the chinese grape like there's so many crazy like fruits it's a it's a big big industry i actually did not know this they oh, sell, really? to this extent no they, they sell mangoes packed in Exquisite boxes in department stores. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> like a melon would cost like thirty dollars. 
Well, I did. I had. I have had an experience of a mango in an exquisite box. There's this a beautiful sushi restaurant in New York, and yeah, I'm forgetting the name. Yeah, yeah. But dessert was literally just mangoes. They just like took this mango out of this like beautiful <laughs> wooden box, and then like started slicing it with his like beautiful sushi knife. I was like, wow. Sushi. And then he just we just ate the mango, and it was the best mango I've yeah. ever had. But um, yeah, it was. I was like, wow, this is truly a, a delicacy yeah. that we're about to experience. But it's just a mango. Yeah. But a special mango. If you had to do one thing, yeah, it's just it's just coming back to that question. Like, I know. You know, like what what would that one thing be right now? You know. Well, but it is a and, kind and of hard question. That's, that's rhetorical, by the way. Yeah. I don't expect you to answer yeah. it. And yeah. Because we're so influenced by our environments we're in, and in New York. Um, the one thing that I think I might want to do might look different than if I was like living in, I don't know, Rhode Island, Rhode Island, or if I was like living in Costa Rica. Like in Costa Rica, I might be like, I really want to be a surfer, you know, because <laughs> I can surf and like well, what, I'm surrounded by it. I'm like, that's what I want. Like even in a, on a subconscious level, I think our brains are affected by our environments. Right. Well, why can't that be your thing? Surfing. No, it's it's Lydia living in Rhode Island, living in Costa Rica, living in LA, living in all these and different... being all these different versions of myself, or, or exploring different mm -hmm. versions of yourself. Yeah. And now the utility is like there's how how big is that addressable market? People that want an authentic person, uh, authentic version of someone actually exploring and, and learning and being dude that that would be huge. But then what's the there to me? There's less of a clear long term. Like the fruit thing is such an obvious like long-term product because it's end of the, it would be something like selling fruit. Uh -huh. But I don't know what the long-term product of me kind of, oh, I, I don't know, just do, being doing different things in different places. Like what is the thing that I'm going to end up moving? What mean, am I moving towards? So, a so, community. Yeah. I mean, we talked about Emma earlier. Yeah. Yeah. YouTuber, Michelle, Michelle Carey. Do you know her? She is great. She she does like 30 days, I try to be a Navy SEAL. I think that's the one that really popped off. Mm. At 30 days, I try to be a supermodel. And it's literally her just being curious and learning about different mm -hmm. things. And then what happened was it was like lower production and it just got better and better and better and better and became like a essentially a show that's mm. distributed on, on YouTube, right? We're Yeah, we're probably at time because it's 12.15. Yeah. Right now. Okay. If there's anything else. No, actually, I want to... Uh, is there, what do you want to talk about? Yeah. Well, I feel, I, I midway through this conversation, I started to feel bad because I was like, gosh, I feel like I should be, like you guys are giving me such good advice and I feel like I kind of turned this into a, like, what should I do? And so, I, I don't know. I kind of feel like I've, at least in terms of like my own struggles as a creator and like directions I should go, I feel we've spent quite a bit of time kind of getting into it and I really appreciate, you know, you guys um, sharing your wisdom with me. I don't know. I don't have. I feel like we covered all the bases. I don't have anything oh, specific. Lydia, yeah. You asked me about like the Coca Cola and the year long. Oh episode. well, yeah. He mentioned that you just wrapped up a year long deal with Coke, and I was like, oh, Jakey's so smart because, well, I know your deal with On is long term, and then I obviously the deal with Coke. It sounds like it's long term as well, and I'm like, I, and I asked, I was like, do you exclusively do long term partnerships? And do you just turn away from anything that's short term? And then Sung told me that, no, that's not the case. But like, how do you go about, I guess, is Coke, are Coke and On the only two long-term ones? Or do you so have other? Coke, um, we didn't have, we don't have any conversations this year. But last year it was, 
and inbound that they wanted me to have a set number of deliverables mm -hmm. for the year. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what that was. But uh, on was the first long term and it was it still is the only long term. But going into this year, um, the previous brands that we've worked with, whether it's a MasterCard or mm -hmm. um, I have this project that I'm dropping with a fabric rinse brand hmm. real soon. And mm -hmm. um, my uh, my goal is to always kill the first initial uh, opportunity. So like, let's say, you know, like a brand is like, yeah, let's say Coke. Like, mm -hmm. I, I think we did a great job last year. Mm -hmm. So this year I'm going to go back to them and say, hey, let's do something bigger and better. Yeah. You know, yeah. so... Um, yeah, I mean, long term is great because, uh, sure, you might be missing out on some opportunities, mm -hmm. but as a small business, it's great to have security, a security, mm -hmm. you know, and also, you know, there's a lot of overhead that I have to, you know, that I have to go through. So having those type of chunks coming in, it it allows you to also plan better. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I candidly, we want every one of our brand deals to be long-term partnerships. Yeah. If you don't want to work with that brand for a lifetime, yeah. why would you even do one thing with them? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think also just even from a brand's perspective, and I've spoken at length with Michaela, who we both know about their kind of approach to partnerships at on. And it's like, it's so smart for brands to work with creators long-term because the one-off video that you do for a brand, if that does well, that's like, very lucky and i think that's an outlier most of the time when i do branded content even if it's branded content with a, a product that like totally aligns with my like fitness or fruit or something like that the the chances of that video flopping are always so high and i don't know why i don't know if it's because when you have to disclose that it's an ad the algorithm is less likely to push it out or whatever it may be but then the other the long-term partnerships where you're just like organically you know, I'm just wearing on stuff casually when I go on runs, when I'm out and about and I'm posting pictures that go on my story, go on my like reels, whatever it could be like that. That's the type of content that over and over again, people are like, oh, I've seen that jacket now a couple of times in Lydia's content. I kind of want to buy that. Like that's totally. where I think that drives consuming. hundred percent. Buying, yeah, I mean, purchasing. you're essentially waving the flag you are in the front lines yeah being an ambassador yeah literally yeah when i was getting my mfa in creative fiction writing like my one of my professors used to always say you really have to regard your readers as smart and in the moment you think you stop thinking of your readers as smart and say you're writing a mystery and you start giving the most obvious clues that becomes an uninteresting mystery novel. Mm. That's not a, like if you if it's like okay, well I know who did it. I know who was the murderer. No one wants to read the book anymore. So you have to think of your readers as smart enough to sol solve the complex version of the story where it's not spoon the answers aren't spoon-fed to you and people the smart ones are picking up on things and that's what makes something engaging. And I think of that with my content and I did go through a phase and I'll admit it where I was like the majority of the people out there just view me as the fruit girl, so I'm going to be the fruit girl. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be the most watered-down version of myself to appeal to this 
very like reductive view of me. Mm-hmm. But that's not those aren't my those aren't my a thousand real fans. My a thousand real fans know me as Lydia, the complex individual who is sometimes vulnerable, sometimes like snarky, sometimes uh, kind and funny. I don't know, like who's you know view me as dynamic. And though to that audience, my real fans, I think of them as incredibly smart people who I, that, those are the people I'm talking to. Totally. And I don't want to lose sight of that. I sometimes it is easy to lose sight of, but yeah, it's it's a yeah. constant constant balance. Yeah, uh, I, I talk about this a lot. Um, the people that watch these videos, or announcements, or even this content that we put out, um, it probably doesn't get the same engagement or views as something that I look at it as complete irrelevant, idiotic, <laughs> you know, like rudimentary. Mm-hmm. And those people that consume the latter. Mm-hmm. They're probably the ones that knows me as the food guy mm-hmm. or the Asian kid that mm-hmm. I see on the FYP, mm-hmm. which again, that's not my thousand real fans. Yeah. You know, but my thousand real fans know that, okay, mm-hmm. like JK addressed this yeah. six months ago mm-hmm. from a different video. Like they could pull up receipts. Yeah. And it, it's a balance because once in a while, you, you do want to get that, uh, Get that, that get that boost <laughs> yeah. of like, oh, yo, like I got this video yeah. go viral, yeah, okay? Yeah. And it's reaching people that's probably never gonna come back, yeah. you know? And, uh, but you you also wanna make sure that your core is is addressed properly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's, it's good to never lose sight of that, um, but it's a balance. Mm-hmm. So he, he describes it as basically, and I'm gonna, I'm going to paraphrase his words, mm-hmm. like a thousand people that fuck with you, meaning a thousand people that support you in whatever you do. Mm-hmm. And so he uses like a musician as an example, mm-hmm. right? People doing indie music. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, why is it a thousand? Mm-hmm. He says, okay, well, if you're an indie musician, or, mm-hmm. can you put out a book and will they buy that book? Mm-hmm. And then when you do, when you go on a book tour mm-hmm. at all, will they, will they come out to that? Mm-hmm. And then when you put out a t-shirt, will they do that? Yeah. Because the fundamental, like the math breaks down to if you have a thousand people, that will give you $100 per year, mm-hmm. then you're making $100,000, Yeah, right? Yeah. And he wrote this in 2013. Yeah, wow, that's and interesting. If, and, if, and if you have if you have $100,000 as a job, that's a great living in 2013 yeah. Yeah. Uh, doing doing that, right? Yeah. So it's like how many different things can you provide them yeah. where they support you? Yeah. And by the way, that's why we consciously try to do things like you know IRL, merch, all these yeah, little things, yeah. the newsletter, Patreon, yeah. all these little things. Your day ones, the people that really support you they will do that so i think you know the takeaway for for creators i hope is that you know you got to constantly a address them and be the most truest version of yourself because they're smart that's what that's that's what we always say yeah they're gonna know it they're gonna be like oh you're only doing the dance thing because you want views they they know they know everything they know everything right i know my my real fans see through the bullshit yeah yeah and if you could do that and you could find those thousand real people then then that's what that's where it's at yeah you know and i and i and again that's where i think the purge a lot of people are doing that right now. Yeah. You know, th- everyone wants to be cool with everyone. That's yeah. not a reality. Yeah, it's not. And not everything is going to be made for everyone. And that's 100- all right. 